may be seated. It's so good to be with you guys today. I'm excited to be here at Cornerstone and Chandler. And, and um, how are you feeling today? You guys feeling good? Yeah. Amen. I love the. I love coming here. Were you here in August? How many were here in August when I came? 
So back in August, I got to share, you know, that song home from me and another song that's off this new album that he was he was showing here. And it was such a great experience, man. I love hearing the testimonies of people, you know, who are be able to, who are ministered to by my testimony. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and not just by the blood of the Lamb, but the word of our testimony. That means, you know, we can hear about what God did, but what did God do for you personally? That's the word of our testament. That's how we overcome. And when the accuser comes to tell us, you know, why we're not going to make it or why we're going to, you know, why we're going to, you know, you got all these lies. You say, no, but this is what the Lord has done for me. And if he did it back then, he'll do it again. And it's interesting. He held up that book. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 139 that he knows the end from the beginning. The Bible says in that chapter specifically says that God writes our stories each day before we even live it. You know, it's, it kind of boggles our mind to understand that, wait, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows all the decisions and choices I'm going to make. And it's interesting because God told me, that book right there, he told me in 2007 that I was going to write a book. At that time, I was a praise and worship leader, and I was a semi-truck driver. I said, God, who would even care what I have to say? Little did I know, God knows the end from the beginning, and he was beginning to birth a testimony and a ministry in my life. And that a year from that point, I was going to lose my wife. I was gonna, a month after that, I was going to step on American Idol. And a few months after that, I was going to start an organization called Sophia's Heart. But you know, that's a point of hope. The song, there's hope in front of me. There's a light. I can see it. Hang on to the hope that God gives you. And, and I got to tell you this. My testimony might be a little different because during that time, you know, I, remember, I kept thinking about that. Even though, you know, we, you know, the thing with me is that like, you know, the Bible says that Jesus went around and he healed everyone. You know, there's not a person that came around and that he didn't touch or heal or set free. And when my wife, my first wife got diagnosed with that condition, that heart condition, she was, you know, she was a child and she had a couple of surgeries. But our first year of marriage, when she was told by the doctor that, that she needed to have another heart surgery and that not long after that, she had to have a heart transplant and it just looked bleak. We began to put our, 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 our faith in God's word. We began, because I grew up in the church and I've seen miracles. I've seen them firsthand. And so for me, I was like, you know what, God? You're the God that can do everything. You created the earth out of nothing. So we're putting our faith in you that you're going to restore Sophia, that you're going to change her life. You're going to give her a brand new heart. And then not too long after that, I'm standing at her casket. After being in and out of the surgery, in and out of, of, of the hospital so many times, losing money to medical bills. I got to tell you this. I was so disappointed. Has something ever happened to you where you prayed and believed God for something and it totally went the opposite way? Has anyone ever been there? Well, that's where I was. And I remember as I'm going through this trial, I'm going through this journey, I kept reminding myself because I was in such a broken place. You know, as I'm going through the audition, I'm like, well, God said I was going to write a book. And right now, this book would be really bad. It's a really bad ending. And I kept hanging on to that. But it's interesting how the lies of the enemy will drown out what God has said about you. And I began to forget what God had said, what he had done in my past already. And I started to focus on now. And, you know, and I started, as I'm trying out for the American Idol audition, I'm going, I'm literally, I'm making it through all the auditions and I'm falling into a depression. I'm falling into a place where I don't want to be. I'm starting to get disappointed. I'm starting to get angry at God. I'm starting to get upset because I feel like God didn't answer my prayer. I felt like, God, who are you really? You said in your words, you're a healer, but when I asked you for healing, you didn't, you didn't show up. And maybe that's you in this place. Maybe you, you've gone through maybe abuse as a child or abuse in a marriage. And you prayed during those situations and God didn't answer. Or maybe you asked God to help you financially and you ended up losing a home. And you're saying, God, if you really are who you said you are, why did you allow this to happen to me? And the thing that we got to differentiate is that there's the truth and there's lies. And the Bible says that the enemy is the prince of power of the air. 
And during these times, if we're not hanging on to the truth, the enemy will start whispering lies into our ears. And I started gripping onto those lies because I didn't see, I you know, started building walls. And I, you know, and I started, like I was saying earlier, I started dealing with this anger against God. I remember when I made it to top 50 on American Idol, I said, God, I refuse to go on this show. I've already made it to top 50, but I said, if I go on this show, I'm going to look like a fool. I'm, gonna, I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm upset. I'm going to embarrass you, myself. I'm going to embarrass my family. But I thank God that I knew that God was the answer. Even when you're mad at God, he's the answer. All right? Even when you're disappointed with God, he is the answer. You know? And so I began to seek God and said, God, help me. Because I'm going to a place I don't want to be. I'm so angry, so depressed. I want to take my own life. And I remember God began to speak to me. And I thank God. Just like David said in Psalm 4, I call out to the Lord. He picked me up out of that miry pit and he set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song up my mouth. That song, Hope in Front of Me, is a song from that era saying, he put a new song. It's changing people's lives now. And, and during this time, as I began to draw nigh to God, the Bible, the Bible says he'll draw near to us. And God, he, he started to take down those walls and those lies of who I thought he was. There's a lot of people doing things in the name of God that's not God. There's a lot of people telling you about God that know nothing about God. It's one thing to hear about him, but it's another thing to know about God. And when I went in to write this song, I wrote in from the, the latter end of the perspective, where the Bible says in Joel 2 that he can restore all the years the enemy has taken. God has honored that. And whatever you've gone through in your life, God can restore the years. And so I'm, I wrote this song on the other side of it, getting off American out of my story, helping millions of people, writing the book, helping tons of people, giving people in the book keys to come out of loss and come out of tragedy, finding purpose, wrote a song that's affecting, uh, affecting so many people, getting remarried again. I had a son 23 months ago and a daughter 22 days ago. A beautiful wife. And not only that, but God, through the brokenness, he found he saw fit to, to, be, to have me as a founder of a nonprofit organization called Sophia's Heart. Right now, we have 12 homeless families living in our facility, off the street. We rescued them off the street. They have a house for the holidays. They have a home. So as I sing this next song, please, this is a song I wrote from that experience. Begin to let all the walls down and just say, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you, not what I think you are. This is more than you think I am.
Thank you so much. It's so amazing that God, he's a restorer. I love that verse. And someone needs to hear today is that he can restore all the years that the enemy has taken. You know, and so today as we focus on, and we're coming around this holiday season, you know, it's one of those times to allow God to light a fire back in your soul to remember why we celebrate this season. You see, there's a, there's a government in this world, and this, and this government, the Bible says, is going to be set on his shoulder. You know, the government of this world right now is a government that's, it's, it's man's government. It's kind of all about themselves. I mean, look at North Korea, look at the dictatorships in Cuba, and even our own, you know, even our own political system, people have their own agendas, and it's about them. But Jesus would be the first God himself coming down and taking order. But his order is not of this world. His order is in heaven. That's the kingdom. But he wanted to restore order back here on earth. And the Bible says that he shall be called wonderful. He shall be called counselor. He shall be called prince of peace. Mighty God. The everlasting father. This is who we serve. This is the God that can still heal today. No matter what your, your, your brokenness is. Maybe, you know, you're hearing people get excited about the, the 2015 is coming and, and getting excited. And I, and I go to a lot of churches and you hear them all talk about this is the year of this and the year of that. But maybe you're in this place saying, you know what? 2014 was rough. 2013. I'm not even over 2013. Matter of fact, some of you might be hearing about 2002. I haven't even been healed from this point. And every year I go and I take this wound with me. And this wound is starting to define who I am. It's time to let go of our wounds. And it's time to stop holding on to our wounds so much and allowing Jesus to come back in. Allowing Jesus to be who he said he is. Allowing him to be the counselor that can get you out of that, that situation. Allowing him to be the healer. The healer that can, the Bible says when he started his ministry, he came and he said, he quoted Isaiah 61 saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the poor. This is good news. He's caused me to, the Bible says, to, to bring the captives and let them go free. Open up the prison doors to those who are bound. To give beauty for ashes. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. This is the kingdom that God wants to set up. And right now, a lot of us come under oppression of the enemy's kingdom. We allow him to whisper the lies into our hearts. But allow his kingdom, which is everlasting, which is love, which is peace, to heal you. As I share this song, can you please... Focus on him and just say, just say together, say, Lord, say, Lord, I welcome you in my heart. Say, Lord, I welcome you in my heart. your baby boy will one day walk on water Mary did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters did you know that your baby boy is to make you new this child that you deliver would soon deliver you Mary did you know 
your baby boy would give sight to a black man. Oh, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would call the storm with his hands? Did you Walk where angels try When you kiss your little baby You kiss the face of God Oh Mary, did you
Okay, so I'm just going to say, wow. I'm, I'm thinking that boy with a little bit of work could be pretty good. So I, I've been back there all morning coaching him up. Uh, that, that whole thing in Mary, did you know that? Oh, that was me. That was me. I worked with him. I, I think he just about got it on the deal. Um, here, here's totally cool about what's going on in Danny's life. You know, since he was here with us last time, uh, his single went uh, number one on the charts. The album he just released, number one on the charts. Here's the part I honor. Here's the part I think is cool. That in the midst of all that success, he's keeping Jesus front and center, number one. That's That's pretty cool stuff. And you get it. You get that in the entertainment industry, that's not an easy proposition to do. And I, I think he's modeling something for us. Because let's be real, uh, just even in the workaday world and out there as you and I are being successful, there's pressure. There's pressure to kind of put Jesus in the back behind the curtain. And uh, you and I all have those same choices. If you play sports, I guarantee you, you've got that same choice. Hey, am I, am I going to, in the midst of my success, in the midst of my popularity? Am I going to put Christ out there on the deal? If you're a school teacher in the public school system, I guarantee you wrestle with you. Where do I put Christ in the midst of this? And I just think Danny's setting such a great, great precedent and example to say, hey, you've got to find a way in the midst of success, in the midst of accomplishment, to make sure the story of Jesus stays part of your story. And I just applaud him for that and honor him for doing that. And I think it's a great example. Yeah. Okay. So today, I am wrapping up the Unwrapped series. And uh, I thought it was interesting, Scott Rogers, who we have speak a lot here, a couple weeks ago, made a statement in the room that I thought was powerful. And he said, hey, after being here several times now, I am figuring out about Cornerstone, that this is a church that cares about more than just themselves. And I thought that in that moment, he spoke to something that actually is at the core of a lot of what we do. It's kind of how God has built and wired us, and it's part of what God is doing in and through us. It's why we do Haruma. It's why uh, we give and sponsor orphan children who are lost on the streets of Kenya, a place to be able to come and to be safe and to feed, and we help them get educated all the way up. I mean, think about how radical this is, all the way through trying to get them through college. So that they can go out into that country and be the best leaders in Kenya and have influence for Jesus Christ. You and I are part of India and feeding lepers. Uh, we're, we're part of a angel tree that we just got done. Hundreds of families, hundreds of families had Christmas because some people at Cornerstone loved them enough, cared enough in the name of Jesus to make Christmas possible. Uh, we do a thing called Second Saturday, and every second Saturday around here, hundreds of us go out into the community 
And we go to soup kitchens and we go to widows' homes and take care of the needs in our community. Again, just because we care about something besides just ourselves. And if you think about it, the building project that you and I are knee-deep in right now, you and I are expanding buildings to create seats for people who aren't even here yet. Because let's just be honest, you and I have already got a seat. And our heart was to say, hey, if we're going to continue to influence and make a change for Christ here in Chant, there's people who aren't in the room yet. We've got to be sure there's a place for them to come to the room. And I just believe this has been at the core of what God has done with us and through us. And I'm not saying that in any way to be brag. I'm just saying I think this is what happens when you get on page with God. Because here's what I think we're going to discover today. When you love, when you love what would appear to be outrageous acts of generosity suddenly become the norm. They become acceptable within your life. So I got a passage. Let's go there and take a look. I I think you're going to find that this has always been true about the people of God. So grab your Bibles. It's John chapter three. And if you're not familiar today, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find this book of John, John chapter three. It's actually John chapter three, verse 16. My guess is that there's tons of us in the room. You know, this verse by heart. But we're going to take a different look at it, come from a different direction, and maybe see something in this passage that hasn't been that apparent before. I think John 3.16 is actually the most powerful Christmas verse in the Bible. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. And here's what we're going to discover. You ready? That when you love, that generosity is an absolutely intuitive response. It's the natural thing to do when you love is to be generous. I I guarantee you that every one of us in this room who's a parent understands this principle because you've done things for your children that if you did that for any other person, it would be outrageous. And yet it's just what you do when you love someone. So here we go. John chapter 3. It's verse 16. And watch this thing happen. You love and then you give. Ready? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world... That he gave. So you get the one. God loved, and the most natural thing, the most, the most logical response out of loving was that then you become generous. Then you begin to give. It, it is absolutely the normal response when you love to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You get that in that moment, in that moment in which God said, look, I love and therefore I'm going to give that his gift was outrageous. It was absolutely so over the top, so mind blowing. And you and I were so undeserving of that gift that it makes no sense except to say God loved and suddenly outrageous generosity became reasonable. Imagine this for a moment. Put on the parenting hat. And I want you to imagine for the moment you're a parent of a high school boy who's a member of the football team. So he's done all that stuff that you do uh, to be part of 
high school sport. He's, he's done spring ball. He's, he's gone early in the morning to practice. He's stayed late after school practicing. He's done the pain of two-a-days. He, he's gone, and every time he's been on the field, you've sat in the stands, chewing on your fingernails, praying that he doesn't get hurt. And lo and behold, they win the state championship. And so suddenly there's a payoff for all the effort, all the sacrifice, all the commitment in his life. And he comes home with this huge state championship trophy and he puts it in his room. And then he's dating a little girl. And he comes to you and he says, I'm planning to give my state championship trophy to this girl that I'm dating. To which you as a parent probably go, okay, that's stupid. That's just, that's like probably the worst decision you can make. Look, look, look. I'm not trying to jinx anything. I'm not, but chances are six months from now, you're not even going to be dating her. And, and look, look, here's, here's the deal. Because she hasn't gone through what you've gone through, because she didn't have to make the commitments that you, the chances that she would even understand the gift, that she would get the magnitude of the expression for you to take a lifetime achievement and to hand that to her as an expression of, I mean, she probably won't even get it. It probably, she probably won't even give you a tenth of the credit that you deserve for a gift (laughs) that outrageously generous. And your son says to you, I know, but I just love her so much that if there's any chance at all that she would understand any bit of it and get even a fraction of the love that I'm trying to convey to her, it'd be worth it to me. And my guess is that the vast, vast majority of us in the room would say, look, That is just an absolutely, absurdly generous gift that doesn't make sense. It's exactly what God did. I can just imagine angels in heaven when God is proposing the plan and says, look, here's the deal. I'm going to send my son to earth to be born a human and die for those guys. And the angels are going, that's crazy. There's no, first off, they absolutely don't deserve it. They're not going to understand it. Matter of fact, our best guess is the vast majority of them will turn down the gift. And the few that accept, the majority of them are going to live half-hearted Christian lives. On again, off again. It is ludicrously generous and will go underappreciated. And in that moment, I think God said, I know. (laughs) But if there's any chance that any of them will understand that expression of love and get it, I'm going to take that chance. Because, because, because. When you love, (laughs) absurd generosity becomes reasonable. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were just recklessly generous? When's the last time you just said, hey, as, a, as an expression of my love and my gratitude and my, I'm, I'm just going to be generous. 
I'm going to give way beyond the expectation. I'm going to serve way beyond the norm. I'm, I'm just going to, because you ready for this? When you love, then reckless generosity becomes a reasonable response. Maybe a better way is to flip that. What is it you say that you love? And have you showed any generosity toward it? I mean, we say we love God and we... There's a second principle. Okay, you got to listen close. you got to get... If you love, then you will love what the person you love loves. Okay, okay. Some of you are going... So let me say it again, okay? If you love, then you're going to love what the person you love loves. Okay? All right. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. So if your Bible's still open, you're going to go to the right. If you closed your Bible, you're going to go to the back and go to the left. If you've got your uh, iPhone, turn it on vibrate. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. If you love, then you're going to love what the person you love loves, which is an interesting concept because let's take a look at what the Bible says Jesus loves. Because if you love, you're going to love what the person you love loves. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved. Remember we said when you love, then giving's a natural thing to do. Just as Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You get the moment. And the Bible says, Jesus Christ wonderfully, magnificently, radically loves the church. And if you love someone, then you're going to love what they love. Some of you know my story. And you know that uh, in the orphanage in Haruma, there was a little girl growing up there. And Lisa came home one year from being there and said, Lynn, we got to adopt this little girl. And uh, so we did. She ends up marrying one of the young men who grew up there in the orphanage. And now they've had a child uh, named Catalina. So now I'm a granddad. I'm too young to be a granddad. Okay. But uh, I'm, I'm a granddad through them. And so uh, as we went uh, to Kenya just recently, did pastor's conferences, we knew we were going to stay over for a couple days at their house, and so we planned to do Christmas early. So suddenly I find myself, as we're shopping here to get ready to go over there, going through the little girl's dress section, going, oh, isn't this cute? Oh, this would look so, and little, you know, little stretchy, leggy, tight things you do on little girls and stuff. Now, I just got to tell you, this is so out of character for me. I raised one boy. I have never been in this section before. And I just want to say out loud, in case anyone's wondering, I will not be any other time soon. That that section has no intrigue for me. Okay? So I just want that to be clear. But anyways, uh, so now I'm in Kenya, and, and here's Catalina open up in her gifts, and I go, oh, it's so pretty on you all. And her face is light up. Oh! Why? Because when you love someone... You love what they love. And scripture says Jesus loves the church. 
not the institutional church, not the politics of the church, and not the bureaucracy that sometimes comes along. You know what Jesus loves? Look around you. Because the people sitting around you are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus knows is that when you and I do life together, we're better together. That when you and I allow our lives to intrude upon each other, when we rub up against each other as Christ followers, suddenly our lives are dynamically changed. And Jesus says, I love that. That's just so remarkable. I would die for that. Because Jesus loves the church. You realize that in the church, you and I have the ability to literally catapult each other's lives when we live in community. That, that at the end of the day, you and I actually point out problems in each other's lives. In the love of Jesus, but we point out each other's problems. There are moments when someone simply needs to hear, hey, that, that probably was not the best way to navigate. The, the things you said had all the potential to harm and not heal. You know, you're, the, the anger that came out in that moment, it probably wasn't what Jesus would have done. And every one of us at some given moment in our lives needs somebody who loves us enough to call us out and just say, look, you could have done that better. Because if we are alone in that moment, we will keep moving on. Can I just say to you that some of the most powerful moments of my lives are where friends have loved me enough to say, Lynn, that was ill-lived. That, that it, there's no way in the world that honored Christ. You need to go back. Ask for forgiveness. Get some healing. You realize in the church, we have the ability to mentor each other up. You realize there's people in this room who know things that you need to know if you're going to be a fully committed follower of Christ. There are people in this room whose marriage is better than your marriage. And if you would simply have the humility and if you would be living life in proximity to them and say, hey, look, I, your marriage is so far beyond where mine's at right now. What do I not know that I need to know? And for them to smile back and say, we were exactly where you are five years ago. Let us tell you the steps we took that literally transformed our relationship. And for you to hear that and not have to stumble to that would change your life. There are people in this room who have figured out finances and stewardship. And you're struggling there so big. And if you were simply to raise your hand and go, hey, you are so much ahead of me. Help me understand what I'm not getting right now. And literally what maybe take you 10 years to figure out, you might figure out in 10 days. It's the wonder of living our lives in proximity and bumping up against each other and leaning into each other. And it's what Jesus loves about the church. You get that there's moments that we prop each other up. Because I guarantee you there's going to come a time when you are in temptation all the way up to your eyeballs. And what is absolutely wrong is going to seem right. And if you're alone in that moment, you're going to make a decision that will have years of regret written on it. And for you to be living with strong Christian brothers and sisters who aren't tempted in the same way you are. And in that moment to put their arm around you, go, whoa, 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 whoa. Come over, come on, come on, come on. We're not doing that. Would save you so much pain.
Or there'll be a moment in which you go, look, God has just not shown up and I've prayed so hard and things have gone so dark and I am ready to throw in the towel. And if you're living that moment out of the community and the push of the church, you could be off track for years. But think of the wonder if in that moment, a Christian brother or sister who you've allowed to live in proximity to you because you're tired of being a spectator in church and you become the church comes up in the darkest moment of your life and puts her arm around and says, I just want you to know God loves you. And the reason I'm here is he wanted me to remind you that you're not alone. Come on, we'll do this together. We'll get to the other side of this. It's the wonder of the church. And guys, look, look, look. If you love somebody, then you love what they love. So tell me that you love the church. Tell me that you're fully vested, bought into being the church. Because that's what Jesus loved and gave his life for, was to see you and me living as brothers and sisters in Christ and community and pushing each other to Christ-likeness. And I know, I know, I know. I know there's a bunch going, Lynn, you just don't get it. My, my schedule's busy and I've got so many commitments and so much going on and, and I, I just don't have any margin. How many of you have gone to youth soccer? Come on, I know it's shameful, but admit it. Come on, how many of you have gone to see children play soccer? Okay, here's what I'm guessing for all of you that sheepishly raised your hands. I'm guessing you did not go because you get excited about watching four-year-olds kick the ball out of bounds. Just a guess. You know why you went? Because someone you loved was playing on the field. Tell me that you love us enough to come play on the field. To show up. To be the church. Because when you love somebody, you love what they love. And it means you show up. Guys, you get, you get that that's why we push you to be part of small groups. And that's why we ask you to consider doing small churches on a Sunday or to come to the mine on Tuesday nights or to be part of a men's Bible study or women's Bible. Guys, we don't get paid by the head. That's not what the conversation The conversation is about not being satisfied being a spectator who watches the church and instead becoming the church. And the only way you can be the church is if you allow your life to become so involved in my life that when I need you, you're there. And when you need me, I'm there. It's what Jesus loves about the church. So here's my challenge today. What if... What if in absolute gratitude for the absolutely absurd gift of Jesus Christ, you and I chose this year to give him a gift back? What if we said, look, I'm going to give you something, God, to unwrap this Christmas that absolutely comes out of a heart of love that's expressed in generosity. Because when you love, you give. When you love, then even what seemed outrageous before suddenly sounds reasonable. And what if you and I gave God a gift to unwrap this Christmas? You ready for this? You can't unwrap a gift that isn't given. So what if you and I gave God a gift to unwrap? 
And so here's what I'm going to do. I've got a couple suggestions. I want, to, I want you to think about, would you give just one of these gifts to God this year that would be an expression of your gratitude and thankfulness and love for him? Okay? Some of you are going to go, Lynn, I can do all three, but that's okay. Would you do one? Okay? I'll give you a list. You can choose. Here, here, here's the list. Some of us are going to leave here today and we're going to go do mad Christmas shopping trying to get ready for Christmas Eve because everybody has to open 10 gifts and it has to be even. What if this year we just open nine? What if you just forego the mad rush? And what if, what if, what if we all open one less gift? Because the truth is what you were going to go buy today was made in China. It's going to break tomorrow. So no. And what if we took the sum total of whatever those gifts were, that last 10th one, and instead we walked out on a patio and sponsored an orphan? I got a feeling that that act of generosity, that act of it's not about me, it's about something bigger than me, that act of I love what my God loves, I got a feeling would thrill at heart. Suggestion number two. What if between now and Christmas Eve, you and I invited somebody to be here Christmas Eve? See, what if you and I were generous with our influence? See, you're thinking that you live in the neighborhood that you live in because that house was the right model or the right price. It is not. You're living in that neighborhood because you're the best chance for some of your neighbors to discover Jesus Christ. And he has purposely positioned you there. So that others would see Jesus in you. And what if this year was the year you gave the gift? And I know, I know, I know that it exposes you to criticism. I know that potentially your neighbors will look at you a little bit differently if you do. What if you walked across the cubicle to your coworker? What if you gave a phone call to Uncle Fred? I, I know you've been wondering why in the heck God did you put Uncle Fred in our family? I know you've been asking that. Because you're Uncle Fred's best shot at Jesus. That's why he's in your family. And what if this year you leveraged your influence and generously invited them to come figure out the Jesus you know? I've got a feeling it would thrill the heart of Jesus for Uncle Fred to be in the service. I was talking to someone in between services and he said, you know, I, I, I kind of took your child. I went out. I went down the street. I asked one of our Mormon neighbors to come. And lo and behold, she said, I'd be thrilled. See, here's what we miss. That God is already working in the hearts of people. And some of them are just waiting for the invitation. And we forget that. What if the gift this year was your influence to cause somebody to get a little closer to Jesus? Third suggestion. Remember, just would you do one? What if in 2015, you stopped spectating the church and became the church? What if for one year you said, God, look, I don't think I have the margin, I don't have the time. But in an act of outrageous generosity, I'm going to make the time. And I'm going to join a small group or I'm going to join a small church. I'm going to be part of the mine or part of a men's study or a women's. And I'm going to figure out what it means to live my life in proximity and see how far people can push me into Jesus and how far I could maybe influence them. I'll do that for a year. That's my gift to you. Because, because, because. When you love, outrageous generosity seems only reasonable.
Would you be willing to give God something to unwrap this year? Let's pray. Dearest Lord Jesus, we just, man, we, we can't even begin to express our gratitude. The idea that you loved us enough to give the outrageous gift of your life, to come to earth, to be a human, knowing that you were headed to a cross for us. And God, I, I just don't even know when we consider that, how in the world we don't respond. That we don't feel our hearts just brimming with an absolute spirit of thankfulness and love that responds by saying, God, if there's anything I can do to thrill your heart, I would do that. That outrageous generosity on our part just seems like the only reasonable thing to do for a God who loved us that much. God, would you accept the gifts that we're about to give? In Jesus' precious name, amen.